go rebuild my church, which as you can see, is falling into ruins. These are the words spoken to St. Francis of Assisi from an image of Christ on the crucifix at San Damiano in 1205 AD. These same words inspired Peter Doan, the host of the program you're about to hear. Peter challenges all of us to rebuild, not the brick and mortars of our church buildings, but our personal faith and relationships that will rebuild and strengthen the church. Now here's today's program. Hi, I'm Peter Doan. And I'm Leslie Doan. And you're listening to the radio broadcast, Go Rebuild My Church. Each week in this broadcast, we will explore ways to put into practice the words spoken to St. Francis of Assisi by our Lord Jesus and how this theme is relevant as we seek to bring renewal to the church today. Our passion for renewal was ignited when we came home to the Catholic Church 13 years ago, and that's when we heard the call to rebuild and joined efforts with many other renewal movements within the church. You can learn more about our journey home and our lay apostolate dedicated to renewal in the Catholic Church by visiting our website at www.catholicdiscipleshipministries.org. Our prayer is through the ministry of this radio program and our lay apostolate, we can provide pathways for you as individuals, your families, as well as your parishes to join the rebuilding process and experience renewal. If you're joining us for the first time, we're coming to the end of a series that we believe is critical to the rebuilding and renewal of our beloved Catholic Church. Today, we encounter St. Paul, who was under house arrest in Rome for two years. While in chains during this time, the apostle wrote four powerful letters that were later declared sacred scriptures. Yes, and excitingly, we mentioned last time, Leslie, that we saw those chains when we were in Rome. That's right, in the uh, Basilica St. Paul outside the walls. Right. So in our series, it's called A Call to Return to Biblical Christianity. And we've been on this exciting journey that Leslie mentioned into the Acts of the Apostles, where we're rediscovering the characteristics that made the early Christians such a powerful force. We've been pulling together the Scripture, excerpts from the Catechism, the lives of the saints, and the teaching of the church, we've been challenged on how we too can start to live as those early Christians did. Right, and they set the bar pretty high, didn't they, Peter? Amen to that. Last week, we looked at the arrival of St. Paul in Rome. His arrival was so significant, both to Paul's calling and mission, as well as we Catholic Christians today. Our theme last week was, while St. Paul was traveling throughout the Acts of the Apostles, in the background, Leslie, he was writing letters to these new churches, laying the foundation for the Catholic Church. And these writings are a large part of our New Testament. And as we've mentioned, while in custody and in those chains in Rome, four of his 13 letters were written during that time. We also noted in our last program, and in the event that you weren't with us, that St. Paul described himself as a skilled master builder. Let me just read for you um, this quote from 1 Corinthians 3.10, where he uses this terminology. He says, according to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building on it. Each builder must choose with care how to build on it. So those are pretty interesting words, aren't they, Peter? They sure are. So, Peter, if we're to rebuild, according to St. Paul's spiritual architecture, what do we need to do? 
Well, in referencing Dr. Scott Hahn, that's a teacher and theologian that we highly respect and reference many times, he said this, Paul laid the foundation of the church in numerous cities by evangelization, leaving to it subsequent leaders to build up the congregations in faith and in love. He went on to say, for St. Paul, the only stable foundation to build upon was the gospel of Jesus Christ. And finally, I like this last piece, Leslie. Paul views himself as a spiritual Solomon who oversees the building of another temple, that is the church, and proclaims the greater wisdom of the gospel both to Jews and to Gentiles. So we have been learning during these years that St. Paul wrote letters to these new churches and they became the building blocks of the Catholic Church. And Peter, I think it would be great if we could just take some time to remind our listeners of those key building blocks. I think seven key materials, Leslie, that we've experienced through our journey in Acts are these. First of all, Paul laid out the seeds of Christology, which is about the person, nature, and role of Jesus Christ. Yeah, just who is Jesus. Yes, in one of those uh, letters from jail, he wrote Philippians, and in chapter 2, he lays out the seeds for this Christology. In fact, that possibly was an early Christian hymn that articulated the mystery of his incarnation, his humiliation, and Jesus' exaltation. The second thing that we learn from St. Paul is biblical ecclesiology, which is the nature and structure of the church. Again, this comes from one of those prison letters in Ephesians. It's all about the church. But also in 1 Corinthians, that was written from Ephesus, St. Paul was there for three years. And during that time, he wrote to the Corinthians about what the body of Christ is. And we are members of it, hands, feet, eyes, and ears, right? I remember in graduate school, I had a church history professor, an Eastern Orthodox priest, interestingly, believe that St. Paul's ecclesiology can be summed up in reading 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. Thirdly, St. Paul lays out for us the theological virtues that are so important, faith, hope, and love, but he told us the greatest of these is love. In 1 Corinthians 13, we call it the love chapter, and that's where we get to look at what agape love looks like. Again, written from Ephesus, it defines the word that the New Testament brings us through Jesus' words, right? Agape is foundational to understand Jesus, his works, and his teachings, and it's what we will be judged on when we appear before the Lord. Fourthly, Paul taught us salvation by grace. That's the whole epistle to the Romans, and here salvation history is outlined in chapters 1, 2, and 3. And then in the book of Romans, which is called by many, I love this word, Paul, St. Paul's masterpiece, it's a summary of Christian theology and explained God's plan of salvation by grace. Incidentally, Paul wrote that in Acts when he was, when he was staying in Corinth. Fifthly, St. Paul lays the seeds for understanding the power of the sacraments, the theology of baptism, and the Eucharist. He talks extensively about baptism, Leslie, about what transpires in that in Romans chapter 6. But then also, he opens up something about the Eucharist to us in 1 Corinthians 11, where he talks about receiving it in a worthy manner. In fact, he said that if you don't receive it worthily, you're going to bring judgment upon yourself. 
And he also implied the sacrament of penance there, penance, when he was talking about it, because he said, examine yourself before you receive the Eucharist. Then sixthly, the moral theology that Paul laid down for us. We see that in the early epistles in Thessalonians, where Paul preached among the pagans, and these pagan Greeks became Christians. And, of course, they had been living very uh, lives outside, even in Old Testament Jewish understanding of human sexuality. And Paul told them about how to maintain their morality and to stay away from immorality. And then finally, Leslie, the seventh point that I think is important for us to make is that Paul laid a foundation in eschatology, which means the study of the end times or the last things. And we can see that again in Thessalonians in chapter 4 and 5, the last things. Well, Peter, that's wonderful. And I think it is um, a great foundation for us as we seek to renew these wonderful truths. Well, listeners, we're going to take a short break now, and when we return, we're going to discuss this last chapter in the Acts of the Apostles and the very last verse in this wonderful book. And we'll look at what St. Luke records as the final picture of St. Paul in the prison and what he's proclaiming and teaching. You're listening to Go Rebuild My Church. This program is underwritten in part by Willie and Deborah Wood in memory of their parents, Woody and Joyce Wood, and Bill and Elsie Brooks. Catholic Radio Indy thanks the Wood family for their support. Have you ever thought about joining the Catholic Church? Have you just wanted to explore the Catholic faith? All you need to do is call your local Catholic Church for more information. We are always happy to help you in your journey to discover and learn more about the Catholic faith. We have classes that are almost year-round, and the classes and information sessions do not involve making a commitment, and there is no pressure to join. Please call your local Catholic parish for more information today and start the journey of one day possibly becoming Catholic as well. God bless. You can hear the Holy Mass every day at 8 a.m. right here on Catholic Radio Indy. Welcome back to our radio program, Go Rebuild My Church. In this series, we've been exploring the call to return to biblical Christianity, and we've been learning why the early Christians were described as those who have turned the world upside down. We're discussing today Acts 28 and discovering the very, very last image St. Luke wants to leave with us. Peter, can you talk to us a little bit about the importance of this chapter, and in particular the ending and how it relates to our overall theme? Yes, Leslie, or St. Luke is painting us a picture of St. Paul in these last verses. It starts out in verse 23. He says that Paul, that people were coming to St. Paul while he was in prison, and he received them in great numbers at his lodging. And from morning till evening, he was testifying to them about the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus. Then we read, Leslie, the last two verses that St. Luke leaves us with as we finish the Acts of the Apostles, and this is those verses. He lived there two whole years at his his expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus with all boldness and without hindrance. Here's some background to those final verses. From 60 to 62 A.D., St. Luke is silent about the outcome of Paul's case before Caesar. Tradition has it that Paul was released again to active ministry. Paul had expressed a desire before to go from Rome westward to Spain as well as eastward towards Macedonia and Asia Minor, Leslie. And there is a apostolic father, 
Clement of Rome in AD 95 tells us that St. Paul carried the gospel to the limits of the West. The last word in the book, interestingly enough, does not have an amen like most of Paul's epistles and the writings in the New Testament, but that the kingdom of God and the gospel was to be proclaimed unhindered. That's how it ends. And again, going back to Dr. Hahn, he makes a great statement here. He says, the preaching of Paul in Rome is preliminarily preliminary fulfillment of Jesus' mandate to witness to the end of the earth. Now listen to this about an amen missing, Leslie. Scholars generally hold that Luke has left this conclusion open-ended to show that the church's mission to the world, far from drawing to a close here, has only just begun. I like that. Yeah, and I think this is such an amazing verse. I've never really stopped to think about the fact that Acts did not have an ending. So we see St. Luke is summing up what was actually most important to St. Paul's ongoing ministry. And he was talking both to the unsaved, but also to those who were already believers in Rome, and they were coming to meet with Paul. So as we examine St. Luke's closing statement, Peter, what can we learn about it? And how can we apply this to the renewal and rebuilding of the church here today? So he, he mentions he was uh, had his own expense that was he was paying for those rented quarters right it says he welcomed all who came to him and with all boldness and without hindrance all those are like important details that we could really chase rabbits on today and talk about but let's get to uh the phrases that really are important in those last two verses leslie first of all he was proclaiming the kingdom of god now remember acts starts out by telling us that jesus for 40 days after the resurrection was speaking to the apostles about the kingdom of god that makes it pretty important right right and jesus in the gospels also said he challenged us to seek first the kingdom of god that's and right it's righteousness it's, that, it's all over the place yeah it's first things so and then secondly it says that paul was uh, was giving the teaching about the lord jesus christ and we would sum that up by saying that's the kerygma which is a greek word which means the proclamation in the in, in a Christian context, it zeroes in more precisely on the proclamation of the good news of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. So in other words, Jesus came to save us, and the message we proclaim is about him. It need not be complex. You know, we, a lot of times we think sharing the gospel and sharing the kerygma is a complex doctrine. Well, it really isn't. It's about the saving story of Jesus' life in a simple matter, Leslie, in which everybody can understand it. And if we're talking about rebuilding and renewal within our American Catholic Church, there's no other starting point but the one that St. Paul shows us here. We must replicate what, that Jesus sent us to do what these apostles did. I know, and we've been talking a lot about this during our journey through the Acts of the Apostles, the importance of the proclamation, the gospel, the, the kerygma. Yeah. So, yeah. Peter, I know the kingdom of God, uh, going back to that point, it's often under, misunderstood or not understood by man, the man and woman in the pew. Could you help clarify this for us? In a previous program, you did talk to us about the kingdom of God, and you shared some great, great details from Pope Benedict's uh, 
explanation of the kingdom of God in Jesus of Nazareth, right. one of his historic writings. Right. Well, again, Pope Benedict really opened up a, a practical understanding for we Catholics to be able to proclaim this kingdom, Leslie. And first of all, he reminded us that that phrase, the kingdom, is 122 times in the New Testament. 99 of those occurrences are found in the Synoptic Gospels, which is Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And then 90 of those 99 occurrences come from the mouth of our Lord Jesus himself. Straight from Jesus. Right. So this is what Pope Benedict said to us that the kingdom of God is. First of all, he said there's a Christological dimension. What we mean by that is the kingdom is not a thing, but it's a ge- not a geographical dominion like worldly kingdoms, right? He said it's a person. It is Jesus himself. And he said in, the interp- in this interpretation of the kingdom, it's veiled Christology, which means behind that veil is the Lord Jesus himself. He said, by the way in which it speaks of the kingdom, Jesus leads men to realize that the overwhelming fact is that God himself is present with them. Right. And the implication is that we need to receive Jesus as the king in our own lives. Amen. Secondly, he reminded us and taught us that the kingdom is a mystical dimension. And he quoted Origen, who was an early church teacher, who said, those who pray for the coming of the kingdom of God pray that's the our father leslie right thy kingdom come thy will be done we pray without any doubt for the kingdom of god that they contain in themselves within us believers and they pray that this kingdom might bear fruit and attain to its fullness and we need to understand that's what we're praying when we pray the our father thy kingdom come thy will be done yep we're asking the kingdom to come into our lives and into our hearts is correct And then finally, the Pope taught us that there's an ecclesiastical dimension, which means the kingdom is also resident within our Holy Mother Church. And he said this, here we see that the kingdom of God is in the here and now, present in and through the church. He said, yet it is a mixed reality that will only be perfectly realized at the end of history. This current mixed state, that's interesting, isn't it? He said it's a mixed state. It can be seen as the church on earth, which now grows in the field of the world, has both weeds and wheat until the harvest comes. When Jesus says he will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned but gather the wheat into the barn. I think sometimes, Leslie, we forget that we're to be reminded that there's wheat and tares, right? Right, both in the church, but still the kingdom is meant to be experienced in his church. Uh, Okay, so thank you, Peter, for walking us through this description again of the kingdom of God. I think it was worth repeating. And we're going to take another break now. And when we return, we'll discuss how the proclamation of the kingdom of God and the teaching or kerygma concerning our Lord Jesus Christ is the centerpiece for all rebuilding and renewal in the church. So please stay with us. You're listening to Go Rebuild My Church. This program is underwritten in part by Willie and Deborah Wood in memory of their parents, Woody and Joyce Wood, and Bill and Elsie Brooks. Catholic Radio Indy thanks the Wood family for their support. 
Hi, I'm Patty Cochran. Are you a non-Catholic who listens to Catholic Radio? Would you like to find out more about how to join the Catholic Church? There's a program called RCIA that can introduce you to the Catholic faith, and it's available at your local parish. You don't have to make a commitment to participate in the program. Just try it out. I did, and it was one of the best steps I've ever made. Contact your local parish office for more information and start your journey home. Welcome back to our radio program, Go Rebuild My Church. Today we are coming to the end of our series, The Call to Rebuild the Church Here in America Through the Restoration of Biblical Christianity. In our last segment, we discussed how St. Luke ends the Acts of the Apostles with a graphic, detailed picture of St. Paul living in rented quarters and tells us what his focal points of ministry were. And I believe if we're going to experience renewal in our churches, we really need to look at what he's saying and doing, don't we, Peter? Yes, for sure. It says that Paul was not only teaching about the kingdom, but he was teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ. So, Peter, what about that teaching regarding the Lord Jesus Christ? What do you think was Paul's focus? Let's see this. Understanding the kerygma, I think, is one of the important things that the Lord has been restoring to us in this last season. You know, just as a little aside, I remember when I was in a staff meeting when I served on staff and introduced this word kerygma, and I was appealed to by the priest and some of the others to really define that and lay that out because it wasn't something they were familiar hearing. And now the word kerygma is becoming more a part of our discussion in the Catholic Church. But let us let me summarize exactly what that is. And it's not complicated or heavy in the, theological terms. It's simply this. Number one, God made us for relationship with him that's jesus secondly we sinned and then broke that relationship we were intended to have thirdly jesus who is the god man right came to heal that relationship through sacrificing his life and rising again and giving us the church and then finally we have the opportunity to respond and i'm going to understand or underline that word respond leslie by choosing to have jesus be our lord and savior so peter if people want to learn more about the kerygma kerygma could you spell that for us yes and in in anglicize k-e-r-y-g-m-a that's K-E-R-Y-G-M-A. Okay, so that last point, Peter, that we have an opportunity to respond to the kerygma is really the critical heart of the matter, isn't it? Exactly. And if we're to return to biblical Christianity, it starts with us. We need to respond, and we need to say yes, just like Mary did when the angel visited her and she accepted the Lord's calling for her life to be the mother of God. That's the fiat. We love the fiat in Mary, don't we? We love it. Yes. Absolutely. So, Leslie, it's the response part, that fourth part of the kerygma that I've so often seen, and I'm not trying to be critical here, but it's missing in homilies when Jesus Christ is proclaimed. There must be a response opportunity to this preaching of the kerygma, and it's important that homilies bring this home to our listeners. No longer can we take for granted, for instance, that the man, woman, child in the pew, a small group, a faith formation class, the RCIA, 
the parish mission se seminar, in our youth groups and confirmation have ever taken that step, whether it be our conversion to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior or a renewal of our baptismal graces through confession and a return to faithful practice of the faith. Right, because conversion is ongoing. Yes. Isn't that right? Yes. Now, I, I want to end our time today by uh, sharing what Sherry Waddell has put in her book, Making Intentional Disciples, because she does a beautiful job in bringing this idea that Paul was, we, we see Paul doing at the end of Acts, of bringing together the kingdom of God and the kerygma, and she brings it to us in a progression. And she says this, number one, first of all, the first step in the progression is the kingdom itself. God is love. We are created to be with him. That reminds me of what Pope Benedict said, that the kingdom is him. And she goes on and says, Jesus, the kingdom is the face of the kingdom. Jesus is the way in which we participate in God's kingdom. There again, Pope Benedict. Thirdly, Jesus, the kingdom in word and deed. She mentions Jesus does the works of the kingdom, especially healing and forgiving. Right. He demonstrates the kingdom. Yes. Fourthly, Jesus embraces the cross. Jesus' ministry results in the embrace of the cross for us, not in success as the world would understand it. The fifth step in this progression is resurrection, ascension, new life, adoption, and that kingdom. Through his death and resurrection, she points out, Jesus opens the way for a new life for all. The sixth step in the progression, Jesus asks me to follow him. Discipleship as an intentional decision. And that's the price of following Jesus is discipleship. Right. He says, come, follow me. Yeah. That seventh step is personal sin and forgiveness. The forgiveness of sin and therefore our need to acknowledge our sin is a part at the heart of the gospel. Then this eighth step, she says, it's called dropping the net. Discipleship is expressed by repentance of personal sin and baptism into Jesus' life, death, resurrection, and body on earth, the church, or by the renewal of baptismal grace through confession and return to the regular practice of the faith. You and I experienced that when we came back to the church. And then finally, Leslie, the life calling of discipleship. We were ready to begin a lifelong of following Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. There we see the kingdom of God and the kerygma combined as a pathway. Well, will you pray for us, Peter, right now that we can absolutely rebuild both the kingdom, the message of the kingdom, and the teaching of our Lord Jesus Christ, yes. which is the kerygma. So important. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Lord, we say, come Holy Spirit. We thank you for our brother, St. Paul, that led the way for us, that laid the foundation as a master builder. And we thank you the way St. Luke left us in the Acts of the Apostles by reminding us of the importance of the kingdom of God and the kerygma. Allow us, Lord, to be your instruments, both to live this way and to proclaim it to others. In Christ Jesus' name, amen. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen. 
Well, thank you, listeners, for joining us today as we seek to connect you as individuals, your families and parishes to the rebuilding and renewal of the Catholic faith here in America. If you'd like to hear our past programs, we invite you to go to catholicradioindy.org where you can access all previous broadcasts through the podcast tab on the webpage. And make sure to become a regular listener of Catholic Radio Indy. Goodbye for now and keep keep the the faith. faith. You've been listening to Go Rebuild My Church with Peter Doan. Podcasts of this program are available at www.catholicradioindy.org. You can hear the Holy Mass every day at 8 a.m. right here on Catholic Radio Indy.